0: Another wheat, uh, did I say wheat? I should <laughs> eat some wheat. <laughs> Another week You're of Screen Heat. <laughs> we <laughs> we better eat the Wheaties. Wheaties. Oh yeah, we're going to talk about a gentleman who eats a lot of Wheaties in a minute, but uh, of course, this is Screen Heat Miami. I'm your host, JL Martinez, along with...
1: Kevin Sharpley.
0: Yes, our weekly guest, our special guest is Bill Garcia, a producer, a former camera operator in local Miami News that's now making big waves out in Hollywood, so we're excited to talk to our good friend and colleague, William Bill Garcia.
1: Yeah, this is a great interview. Oh, yeah. He has a movie.
0: Yeah. movie
1: is making waves, has made waves. For two weekends in a row,
0: back in June, it was the number one movie in America, thanks mostly to the drive-in phenomenon.
1: The drive-in is back. Oh, yeah. Back?
0: (laughs) from the past but was it remember that movie blast from the past
1: (laughs) yeah yeah everything it's retro brendan horses pretty soon oh
0: absolutely yeah i i would love to just get off the grid for a while man that'd be great just you know just nice little country cabin you know making food by the fire pit
1: yeah too much stuff coming at you now though Rocking chair, woodland stick.
0: I know. Can't yeah, stop it. I know. With Wi-Fi, it just follows you everywhere. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Can't <laughs> get away. But yeah, before we get into the stories and the news, I say we mention our beloved sponsors.
1: Yes, our sponsors keeping us going: Chemical, the Miami Media and Film Market, Cinevision, and Kajik Multimedia.
0: Oh. <laughs> so let's rock it. Speaking of rocking it yes, for the second year in a row. Did you do that on purpose? One... No, that was totally improv, dude. I swear. <laughs> I didn't have notes on that.
1: <laughs> I see your notes.
0: <laughs> Just the mind of Martinez.
1: That's what it is. Got it. The second yeah. year in a row,
0: the highest paid actor in Hollywood is none other than Miami's very own Dwayne The Rock johnson
1: yes i mean he's not actually from miami but he certainly is a hurricane oh he is a a hurricane
0: he's a force of nature racking up between june 2019 and 2020
1: 87.5 mil that is a hurricane that's a big number yes a big number he played football Graduated from the University of Miami, and now he is graduated and is with a PhD in money making in Hollywood. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he
0: is he is definitely become a mogul. I I made a joke earlier in the week uh, that he should also spin off and do a reality show, which I'd like to pitch him. And this is what this is the pitch. You ready? It's called. Bald Billionaire Bench Press. <laughs> Episode one, check it out. The Rock versus Jeff Bezos.
1: <laughs> I love
0: it. I love it. You, know, you see a couple of photos and Jeff's in good shape, man.
1: Oh, Jeff is buff. <laughs> Jeff 2.0, he is not playing, man. Absolutely. Okay, yeah, so I like that's, it. That's my
0: pitch. But to show, you know, speaking of the of the big platforms and streamers, uh, a big chunk of his money, uh, for the rocks money came from Netflix, 23 and a half million alone from the red, uh, Netflix movie, red notice.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Netflix got the big bank. So they did lacing everybody up.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's so much going on in, in terms of diversity and representation in Hollywood, the Emmys, uh, as we know, have already come out. And one of the interesting things that Variety noted is how lead actress nominees are reflecting TV's tide turn on tropes. That's yeah. an alliteration. And <laughs> that was
1: good. <laughs> that, was, that was great.
0: Yeah. So, you know, obviously talking about a lot of the great... Uh, actresses that were actors that were nominated uh this year for some some really really you know interesting you know uh roles uh you know octavia spencer and and all these women that are really breaking the mold now and and just providing an insight into these nuanced characters uh that really are diving deep into a world that hollywood unfortunately historically has oftentimes overlooked
1: yeah, and that's great that Variety is hitting that note. The cover of Hollywood Reporter two weeks ago um, has Zendaya, Janelle Monae, right in the middle. And, right. You know, that's that's our Screen Heat Miami. One degree of separation after right. having interviewed Kyle Patrick Alvarez on a two-part Absolutely. series, uh, Janelle Monae starring in his his show Homecoming season two, mm-hmm. so that he uh, that he directed. Um, homecoming season two so it it is really great to see you know this kind of opening up and a lot of this happened before the big push so and uh, you know before a lot of these protests because as we know uh, a lot of these shows have to be shot before um before they air i mean many 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 months before they air so right right you know it's feeling good let's see if they keep it up Let's see if let's- yeah.
0: Let let's see. Yeah, and like you said, I would love to see it up. You know, because just in this category alone, you know, people of color, women, and then they even talk about the age ranges now. Um, before, you know, a woman over forty in Hollywood was almost like a death sentence you know like they just yeah. you could not find meaty roles for those women obviously with the exceptions the Meryl Streep's and the Sally Fields of the world but outside of a very small group of of women of talents uh very few roles and now it seems like you know uh they're embracing not only women in really really good roles but women of color and older women
1: yeah and I, I can tell you I'll just make a note of a production company. I can't remember the name of her production company, but Reese Witherspoon's production company. And she's been in the game for quite a while. Um, Mm -hmm. Her production company produces two shows that I I just love. Little Fires Everywhere, which is on Hulu, and um, Big Little Lies, which did kind of kill it at the Emmys. Right. You know, so yeah yeah um, that's
0: that she's doing great it's uh, i believe i think it's called uh, hello sunshine hello sunshine her, that's yeah, right that's her comp mm-hmm. yeah so yeah absolutely oh and the morning show oh yeah big huge hit on apple tv right yeah
1: yeah so that's really setting that's really setting the bar and you know that bar just needs to be raised higher and higher and higher when diverse oh, yeah. voices speak america and the world speaks so there you yeah, go. Absolutely. No, that's very well said. I like that. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> so, not in my notes. So yeah. that, was in, <laughs> that was totally improv.
0: The mind of sharply,
1: Very sharp <laughs> there <you> mind. <laughs> there you go.
0: Uh, so, yeah, no. And, and, you know, just before we get into the interview with Bill, it's going to be a great interview because he talks a lot about distribution and you know what's been happening with theatrical during the pandemic it looks like the biggest of the big in terms of theatrical exhibitors amc is looking to make a comeback very soon uh really by the end of in just in a week or so and something that they're doing to honor uh their history, because, you know, this is a company that's been around for about a hundred years. Uh, people don't know that. Uh, AMC Theaters, it goes way back into the early Hollywood days. And so it, in a very interesting kind of cool promotion, they're offering tickets the
1: first day for 15 cents. That is pretty big.
0: Yeah. Which is apparently what it cost to go to the movies in 1920. Oh, Huh. So that's, that's the throwback, you know, they, we have drive-ins
1: and now we have 1920s ticket prices. Okay. <laughs> we'll uh, and yeah, I want the theaters to come back. Uh, they need to come back. Um, yeah. We're going to see um, how 15 cents affects people and whether it motivates them to, right. to get right. into the theater.
0: Now, so, apparently, th- these are not going to be for first run movies, and we should put that disclaimer. They're going to be legacy titles like Black Panther, The Empire Strikes Back, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. don't expect to see Mulan for 15 cents anytime.
1: <laughs> you got to always bring it back to Mulan. Ah,
0: Mulan. I, I'm not going to go there anymore. I think, I, again, the. To to quote uh, Perry Mason, the defense rests. So
1: I was just about to bring up Perry Mason. Did you see it? I saw the finale. Yeah. Uh speaking that of show, vintage Hollywood. Yeah, stuff, yes, yes, right? that's what I meant. Yeah, he, yeah, he, they they crushed it. I mean, I thought it was, you know, really, really amazingly done from the set design, as I as I said previously, you know, to the uh, cinematography. The acting, of course, the direction, and I'll go back to the acting. Matthew Reese, oh yeah, man, just put an Emmy to the side for him every year. I mean, this guy, he is his 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 range. I mean, he has such a dynamic range, you know, from you know subtle subtle nuances to grand overtures. He he he's. Speaking of hurricanes, he's a hurricane of uh, of acting. So oh, absolutely, yeah, and of course he's the driving engine of that show. But uh, oh, he is. I'm, I mean, they they really pulled it off. And, uh, you know, I really love that. show. Yeah,
0: it, it's a beautiful production, you know, obviously up to the HBO standards that we've grown so accustomed to over the years. But it's really a little jewel box of a show and how they approach the storylines, the acting. You know, I think we talked a few weeks back how I wasn't I just seen the first episode and I wasn't sure about Matthew Reese. Because remember, at one point, uh, Robert Downey Jr., who's an executive producer uh, on, still on, is. on the show. He is. Yeah, he is an exec. He was supposed to actually play that role. But oh really? I didn't yeah, know that. It was, it was actually a scheduling conflict, and then they brought Matthew in, and I wasn't sure. I was like, "Man, I, I like him in some scenes. I didn't like him in others." Uh, but he just grew on me throughout the course of that first season, and by the end, I was just
1: like, "All team Matthew Reese." Nah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he you know <laughs> he, he built his. his He's a character, you know, he built his performance over those yeah. episodes. And that's what I was saying about the subtle nuances, but you know, I know him from the Americans. So, you know, I know, and I did speak on that, you know, the the build that he, he utilizes mm. in terms of his characterization. And so Absolutely. for me, that was something that was truly remarkable. And uh, let's see how it does the next Emmys. Yeah.
0: No, I, th- I think it's going to do very well. And I think that it's funny how they say everything old is new again. But, you know, I, I think really these period shows are hotter than ever they've, they've been. Uh, and now between drive-ins and 15-cent tickets, I think what, what AMC should bring back is the newsreel. Remember the old new? Well, you don't <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, In the man, news maybe. this week, Dwayne The
0: Rock Johnson he is the number one movie in America. His actor is bigger than life. Watch him
1: this weekend. <laughs> Maybe we should bring it back. <laughs> That's next, pretty good. Let's try that
0: next yeah. week. Let's do a little a little uh, old news reel, and we'll have the little th- 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 in the background.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's already thrown back because it's back to sound. The you know it's like right. the radio times podcasts have become you know really really um a, a bit a big big much big, even much bigger now you know during this time. Um, oh, absolutely. And uh, you know we did speak on. Uh, uh spotify's their are big deals michelle mm-hmm. obama her show two weeks ago that uh, that debuted two weeks ago and then of course yep. joe rogan so
0: yeah yeah apparently they have a huge uh cachet of money to throw at these major podcast talents and they're they're i think they want to become essentially the netflix of podcasts is is what they're going for just mm-hmm you know big stars big names big podcasts so the the days of old-timey radio are coming back as well
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll bring them back even hey you know if you listen to my beach chronicles uh podcast which you can find on soundcloud as well uh we start off every right. episode with that kind of old-timey feel it is that detective femme fatale you know updated yeah. uh throwback so
0: Love yep. the film noir. And just so everyone knows, Green Heat Miami is also available on Spotify. So if the Spotify executives are listening, <clears throat> <we're, laughs>
1: throw
2: us we're a million bucks.
1: <laughs>
0: How hey, much was that deal you know,
1: that Joe Rogan
0: did? That was huge. It was $100 million? $100 million for total exclusivity, which if they threw us a quarter of that, I think we'd go exclusive on Spotify.
1: Oh, see, you already <laughs> increased. I said a million. Throw us a million. You said throw us a quarter ah. of that.
0: No, you know, I, was, I, I didn't want to lowball us that much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and speaking of negotiations, I think we should get into our producer conversation because I cannot wait for everyone to hear what Bill had to say. It's, it was just a, a great, great chat.
1: Yeah. And uh, all of you horror aficionados, you need to really plug in and listen. So here we without go. Without further ado. Bill Garcia. Yeah,
2: that's, I that's, that's, that's all. We'll use that. it's all on I the can't. Record. I wasn't it's recording. recording.
1: <laughs> I'm recording now. <laughs> we have to let you okay, know I can't just start recording.
2: Come on. No, I um, know. I know. It's all good. All right. Okay. We're on. Hit us up. Well, I think that this is going
0: to be one of the more fascinating interviews today with the great Bill Garcia, who is a local product here from our great state of Florida, uh, doing some amazing work out in the city of the angels now. Uh, but hoping at some point we can reel him back in to use the fishing terminology. But, uh, but love to have the
2: opportunity to chat now with, with Bill Garcia. Welcome to the show, Bill. Nice to be here. And it's good to uh, hear and see both of you. <laughs>
1: nice <laughs> yes. to be back in Miami, huh?
2: I I wish it could be in Miami. Right right now I'm in Pasadena, California, a quarantine. Yeah, Mm -hmm. via via the the internet. Right. (laughs) Via the internet, you can travel anywhere. Actually, I attended the uh, Cannes Film Festival that was online, and I was able to speak and market and talk with filmmakers from all over the world so there is a positive of what's going on but i think most of it is very negative obviously yeah but, but when you it know comes what comes to development uh 19 yeah i don't want to lose but? that
1: because you already started us off in a good way um you went to the can the virtual can yeah. marketplace tell us about that how did that go
2: that actually went very, very well. Um, I have right now a feature film that's in development called Online with Love. I wrote the script. Uh, right now I have two studios that are uh, covering the, the feature film script. Um, so I needed to find uh, production companies and partners in Colombia so I can hop on a plane and travel to Colombia so I attended the cannes um, you know film festival that was online and I was able to connect with eight different production companies I was able to meet with the Film Commission um, that takes care of Colombia learned about their tax credit and incentives and I was also able to pitch different executive producers and different filmmakers from all over the world. Uh, and this was all done online. Very, very positive in that sense. And a lot of film festivals are online. For example, the Austin Film Festival, as I understand, is going to have it online. So that might be another event to to meet filmmakers and to network.
1: Yeah. You know what? I have a film. And I, this was, to me, uh, unbelievable. Um, I have a film that uh, my company produced. And uh, we were really excited because our first festival was going to be the, uh, the L- LA uh, Slam Dance Emergence. So we were super excited. That festival got postponed and uh, they're still figuring out what they're going to do. But, you know, the film has been accepted into five festivals, believe it or not, <laughs> you know, it, and, and you know, all of them have now gone online. And uh, we've won three awards. So there is, you know, this de facto festival system that's still happening. And, you know, if you can move pieces and you, you're able to go through the festivals, it really makes a difference. Can is different, though, because it's a market as well. So, you know, that's great that you were able to participate and really, you know, in, in, interact there with the virtual version of Cannes. And, and, and from what you're saying, it worked out really well
2: yeah it worked out very well for me, and also uh, the American film market, for example, is going to have a virtual virtual uh, you know conference um, so that 's an opportunity to network with other filmmakers, uh, whether they be financiers, uh, executive producers, producers, writers what i mean it 's just you know anyone who's there uh, and then you just try to find that individual or company that you have some sort of synergy of what you're trying to do. So for example, when I think about it, I, I was at the um the Cannes uh virtual online festival, but my target was people that were from Colombia, right? That because that's what I was trying to do. So because right. I didn't have any projects that really dealt with Europe. But I was able to find those filmmakers and those production companies that were attending that conference.
0: Hmm, That's interesting. And then meanwhile, in Europe, going back to that, it seems like Venice, for all intents and purposes, is also going to have a live component, uh, which will probably be the biggest festival I would imagine since the pandemic to actually have one. Uh, they recently added The Human Voice, which is Al- Almodovar's latest, as well as, and this ties us into our backstory of the conversation, Regina King's One Night in Miami will also be screening there. So it's gonna be an interesting, speaking
2: of, of Miami guys, you know, you're, you're from Miami originally, right, Bill? I was, I was born at Mercy Hospital, and I lived in Hialeah. I was born It doesn't get more Miami than that. It doesn't get more Miami than Hialeah. It's like out here in the West Coast, you know, people are like, hey, so where, where are you from? And I go, I'm from Hialeah, from Miami, MIA 305. And then they're like, hi, Alia. And I'm like, well, hi, Alia is like East L.A. And they kind of look at me like, what? And you're like, And I'm like, yeah, hi, Alia, Palm Avenue, 11th Street. You can't get any more than that, right? You know? uh, and
0: then when you try to explain you
2: know, it, You know, and then you're done.
0: And how do you explain that Northwest 103rd becomes West 49th Street
2: all of a sudden? Oh, that's a difficult one. That's the, the, I don't Aaliyah. even go there. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, Hialeah in the 70s was like a great place to live. I mean, um, I remember going across the catwalk on Okeechobee to Miami Springs Senior High. That was my high school. So, you know, but that was a whole different time. You're talking about the 80s, you know. Uh, So, but, yeah, that's – I'm definitely Miami, 305, and then also – I lived up in Pembroke Pines for quite a few years. Love it. But yeah, you know, just kind of tying it back to the industry and a lot of people don't know, especially in the time that you're referring to,
0: actors like Catherine Keener, Vincent D'Onofrio all grew up in Hialeah around that
2: time. Yeah. So maybe. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah, apparently. But yeah, I, I started in, in Miami and uh, my first job was at um, WTVJ, which was Wameco. I started working as a sound man. They had a sound um, training program at the time. And uh, I was attending uh, Miami-Dade College. Mm. Uh, at that time, it was called Miami-Dade. Everyone called it, you know, up in uh, in Miami. Uh, they had a radio and television broadcasting technology AS degree. So oh, that's wow. um, attending Miami-Dade and then working at uh, – WTVJ, and then from there went to Channel 10, uh, started sound there, and and then eventually went to West Palm Beach. So I'm very much, I mean, my first like we're talking four or five jobs. We're we're all in South Florida, and I also uh, was out in the in West Florida in Tampa, uh, over at WTSB. So it's all television, yeah, television news and sports. Wow.
1: yeah you know what they say if you want to get a job instantaneously in this industry go into the sound department there's always an opening
2: <laughs> yeah that was a that was a whole different yeah but i gotta tell you that was a whole different era we're talking about 1983 82 i mean the sound guys at that time for news you know you're carrying um a BVW 110 or a 50. I, I know you guys won't even know what this is, you know, with like a boom mic and lavaliers and carrying this big deck. I mean, we were recording at the time, a three quarter inch tape. Eventually we went to beta. And then you had the, you know, you had like the Ikigamis and the Sony, but we're talking a whole, <laughs> I'm, I'm really showing you my age, you know? And so you say basically carrying a briefcase. It was a bulkier yes, time. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, you know, and it's this whole big thing strapped around your shoulder. Uh, I remember the old TKs. You see, you guys are too young. You don't even know what I'm saying, like an RCA TK. This, this camera was like, imagine a blue box, because it was like blue and white. Imagine a blue box, just a rectangular blue box with a lens, and then there you go. And that was your camera. I mean, it was like horrendous, but, uh, but yeah, I, that, I could imagine you running
0: I, around like one of the ghostbusters. That's what, that's what I could imagine. Yes. Bill Garcia. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: And, and there, and but it must've been a fascinating, I was going to say, yeah, Bill, I was going to segue to that, that, you know, early eighties Miami, there was a lot going on the cocaine cowboys, the riots,
2: you know, I, was, I was in all that. Yes. Yes. There was like, oh man, that was crazy. Uh, we would have um, a lot of floaters. That's what we used to call them, which is people would float from the river, the Miami River. Uh, there was a lot of shootings. There was one I remember in, in DadeLand Mall, uh, which eventually was attached to La Madrina, um, and then, yeah, it was. You're talking the 1980s, the riots. That now I was too young. I was not in the news business when the McDuffie riot took place, but I was there during Alvarez. That was the one that took place in Overtown, and I remember um, I get a little beep on on my because uh, at that time we had pagers. You gotta remember, there wasn't no, those like there were some cell phones, but not everyone had them. But we had the pagers, and so they had a little code that if they paged you with this code, that means you needed to drive back to, um, you know, to the TV station. And WTVJ at the time was owned by Womeco. And again, we're talking a, a different thing. I finished my shift. I was heading home to Hialeah, right, in my little Chevy Chevette, and I get my pager. It kind of buzzes and stuff. So I'm like, oh, great. You know, it's like 1130 at night or so. And I'm like, I got to turn back and head down to, uh, you know, to downtown Miami. And then sure enough, as I'm driving down, the city's burning.
1: And and I
2: was like, whoa, what is this? I went back to the TV station. And that was in, in 1982, if I remember. And that was Neville Johnson. Don't quote me on it, but I think it was um, the death of Neville Johnson. My memory, you know, it's been a long time. Uh, but I remember that one of our photographers, um, I think his name was Woody um, was one of the vehicles that was caught in the whole riot and situation. And the, and the vehicle was burned at the time. Uh, and oh. this is 1982. Uh, it was an officer shooting everything we're talking and it, to me it's so sad that we're still dealing with this yeah. we're talking 1982 yeah okay where i covered i covered a lot of of, of riots in, not only in miami but also when i was in, working in tampa and it's really sad that here we are what 2020 we're talking that was 1982 right Look yeah. how long, and we're still dealing with this real sadness. It's it's really horrible. It, it yeah. really is.
1: Over 40 years ago, we interviewed um, Dudley Alexis. He did a documentary about McDuffie. More McDuffie. The, you know the riots were a consequence, you know, of him getting mm-hmm. killed, murdered by those by cop, but by the police. And yeah. uh, his documentary won. For all intents and purposes, it won the biggest cash prize at the Miami Film Festival. And it was just a lightning rod. It's a a great, great film. And, um, you know, this is his documentary premiered before, you know, all of the turmoil that's been going on across the country, but it was quite prophetic. So, you know, this is a lot to be said about the industry as a whole. You know, this is an industry that really is, you know, churning out stories and, you know, really connected to the pulse of, of what's going on. And at that time, I guess you really were connected to the pulse. Um, but you move forward in your career. How did you move into the film industry proper?
2: Well, my my path was a very uh, unique way of, of moving to to film and, and reality. But in the short sense, because... I've had a really interesting uh, career, but I really started as a news cameraman. I also shot sports for like the Miami Dolphin and then eventually Major League Baseball. So I did some sports shooting and stuff. Um, So I started in news, documentaries, sports as, as a camera guy. Uh, and then I moved forward to reality, uh, music videos and EPKs. So, and then I started shooting and directing, um, like for example, Lenny Kravitz for the Dig In album. I shot a lot of material with Lenny, uh, during the album and shot some like the behind the scenes and promotions and some music videos, and then started working with like Ricky Martin and shooting commercials, both as a DP and, and director. Uh, and started doing a lot. All of that 305. We're talking South Florida. Uh, and then, then moved into reality. I started uh, shooting for like MTV making the video. You know, oh, with, yeah. like uh, the Thong song. And, uh, you know, and Jennifer Lopez. And, you know, all those videos that were shot in, in the 305 in Miami. Uh, I was involved with uh, MTV. Um, it was a toy plane production. And then I went to work for Real World. So I shot uh, as a, a DP and shooter um, hired by Billy Rainey uh, at the time. Uh, and then uh, what happened was um, they were looking for cameramen to start working on a movie called Up Close and Personal. Uh, it was a feature film uh, directed by John Avnet, and the DP was uh, Walter Lindbaum, I think, if if I remember correctly. And they were looking for actual camera operators that could shoot video because they wanted to use video in the actual uh, feature film. So I was hired, and I'm actually in the movie. It's really funny. Oh, cool. I by by Michelle. Yeah, I'm in there for like maybe uh, 15, 20 seconds, but I was actually filming the scenes and then handed the footage over. I don't know if they ever used it or not. Uh, And then that was my first foray in the sense of like being on a film set. You know, before that, when I was in Tampa, I also worked as a camera assistant. Uh, you know, as a um, for a television movie uh, with Melissa Gilbert, if I remember correctly, and it was one of those made-for-TV movies. So that's how I started as a DP, and then eventually people started um, saying, "Hey, uh, you know, you're really organized. You're really, uh, you know, you know your stuff. Can you unit production manage this shoot?" Can you line produce this and then I started working commercials as a line producer, and then I went into independent features uh, and then my career started moving more towards um, you know feature films uh, and independent films, and then like narrative series uh, but it 's really started as a news guy, a news shooter and and a DP. Uh, and then also I had a little stint about like maybe five years as the general manager for a production company down in South Florida called Moving Picture. And I was the GM for, for five years uh, and we would deal with everything, you know, video assist, sound playback, post-production. Uh, so we were providing a lot of services for like really major Commercials and music videos, especially music videos in in the '90s and the 2000s, they were huge. You know, yeah, we were shooting budget, like Aerosmith,
1: million dollar videos, the big
2: budget. We're yeah, you're talking like you know the the six figures, high six figures, sometimes even you know the low seven kind of figures of music videos and commercials. So we were involved in in a lot of support services for that. And then uh, eventually decided to come out here uh, in Los Angeles uh, and been out here, you know, as an independent filmmaker, uh, you know, working as an executive producer, producer, and also director. I'd like to, you know, I have a, so a couple of projects that I want to direct. Yeah. So that's yeah, the but- basics of it. I mean, I could go, there's just so much, you know, working like for the Miami Dolphins. I covered uh, the space shuttle launches, for the Florida News Network, I mean, there's so much in that time. I, I was even in the so, former Soviet Union uh, during Perestroika. There was a television show that we produced between St. Petersburg, Florida, WTSP, and Glasnost Radio, which was the Soviet-run, uh, you know, uh, television network. So th- there's wow. and there's so many of those stories of my time as a as a journalist. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so I know there was a moment when you were going back and forth between L.A. and Miami uh, a lot. Was that affected by the ebb and flow of the industry? Because let's say about eight years ago, the industry here was so robust. I mean, you know, we had five high impact television shows, major feature films were shooting here um of course the incentive has a lot to do with that you know the state incentive that was in place at the time but did you find yourself going back and forth more as these bigger high ticket items started to decline or was it more of a different type of organic transformation there
2: what what happened to me is that some of my clients were in los angeles so and and i was shooting um a lot for like For example, MTV Making the Video, which was a toy plane MTV uh, production, you know, they were based out of here. Buna Murray, you know, was was based out of here. So I had to go back and forth between Florida and and, uh, California because of some of my uh, contacts. I also had you know, um, clients that were based out of Texas. So a lot of times I was traveling, not just to these two States, you know, especially Texas and California, but all around the world. It's just the way that it worked but the thing with California and why I constantly had to come out here, travel back and forth was the networking. The studios are based in California. The distributors were based out of California and the financiers are really based out of California. If you really think about it. Okay. So that was most of my early career. I had to get on a plane, come out here, stay here, but it really didn't work because a lot of times You really need to live here in California to network. It's just very difficult if you're establishing your career to be somewhere else. And then what? You're going to travel here for like one meeting or two meetings. There's just too many networking opportunities in California if you're in the film industry, right, that you really need to be out here to establish your career. Once it's established, and then you can go move somewhere else. That's my thought but the reason i stayed in miami is and and really florida is cuz i love florida my most of my family lives in florida right and i i was born and raised in florida i want to go back to florida i love miami i love florida it's just it is my home you know that's where i was born and that's where to me, those are my people, you know, it just no other way to express that. The peeps. It's just, you know, the way it is, you know, don't get me wrong. I love L.A., but the atmosphere in Miami and Florida and just the, the vibe is just completely different. Yeah. So for me. And much better cafecito, by the way. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't drink coffee. I'm the only Cuban. I don't smoke and I don't drink coffee. I'm the only yeah. human I think in the world oh, that wow. doesn't drink coffee. No cigars? <laughs> no cigars, no no oh, nothing. No. I don't even drink alcohol. It's like I've tried it all. It's just like yeah. It's like my former boss, I don't know if he'll, he'll like me mentioning this, but what, hell, oh, you know, um, my my boss over at WPLG, we used to travel cuz we used to go to to the Nappy conventions <laughs> at the time they used to take place in Las Vegas and they also had a couple of them in, um, in new Orleans, he says, Bill, you are the most boring person to travel with. Cause you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't do anything, you know? So, uh, that was, that was my, my adventure into it. So definitely, oh, but when man, it I, came to huh? traveling, yeah, when it came to traveling back and forth between Miami and California, I just, I had no choice, but, but to do that. Um, And what happened with Florida, and and this is just, I mean, eventually I had to leave because the tax credit, you see the, the tax credit in Florida, it not only affects the feature films and television series, but when you have that tax credit, it kind of creates a synergy of work, not only in that industry like you know narrative series but also reality more commercials more mu- music videos so there was more of an infrastructure you know I mean there was a lot of companies down there and once you have that tax credit go away the work went away I I don't even I don't know what's going on right now in Florida uh, I do know that a lot of my friends and co-workers are now living either in Atlanta um, and or uh, you know New Orleans. A lot of them moved, you know, to to up north. You know, even though it's still the South, it's still you know they they just moved because what happens is when you don't have that tax credit, a lot of the independent filmmakers and in the studios are just, you know, they just have a better deal going to Georgia or Louisiana, Alabama, for example. Um, and and that really drove away our industry. Um, you know, there were like numerous uh, film labs down in Florida. You had studios. You know, there was a lot of talk of growth. But once the tax credit went away, I think that synergy went away with it. Yeah, it's 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 definitely an interesting time
0: now, at least, you know, from my perspective in Miami and obviously Kevin as well, is that, you know, sort of with the demise of that traditional industry that you're talking about, we have, I don't know whether it was as a result of or just coincidentally, the rise of these super talented young indie filmmakers from our town. Uh, you know, you mentioned Dudley Alexis, Kevin, who did When Liberty Burns. Uh, But, you know, also just a host of other filmmakers doing scripted and unscripted work. In fact, you know, we all talk about Moonlight, a $3 million movie that shot three months after the incentives expired. Uh, And as we all know, the history of that went on to win three Academy Awards, made money at the box office. So I would love to see now as a next step. And what's interesting, you know, just from a A political vantage point is that, from what I understand, the last time we passed significant film incentives was specifically because Florida was trying to get out of the real estate bust, the 08, 09 recession. Obviously, we're back in very similar territory now because of COVID. So I think if there was ever a chance to have an injection, a shot in the arm for our local economy, backed by the power of the film industry, as you guys know, being able to spend exorbitant amounts of money in such a short amount of time. The film industry is a sector that I think hopefully the county and the state will be looking at more closely to re-inject life into our local economy because of our dependency on tourism and the hospitality sector, which is gonna be a long time before that comes back. So my hope is between the strength of our local storytellers, which in my opinion, rival any other major creative city in the world, this recession coming out of COVID that we'll be able to put something together under an economic recovery package that will hopefully bring some of that luster back to my end. That's, that's my soapbox speech for the podcast.
2: <laughs> I'm inspired. I'm very inspired. Oh, I mean, I agree. Um, I just feel that Florida, to, to really move forward, they have to have something at least competitive to their neighbors, which is Georgia is killing it. I mean, you yeah. just got to understand that. Yeah, I mean, I mean my company had to,
1: is right next door. Yeah, my company had to establish a presence in Georgia. We did in, in um, uh, November of 2018. So, you know, I haven't been back recently, just trying to, you know, get a handle on things here. But, you know, I'm here. I'm going to live here. I just had a, um, you know, a daughter born recently, but I was going, you know, every month. Back and forth between here and Georgia. A little bit easier than going back and forth to to L.A. six hours, you know. But uh, back and forth to Georgia every month because, you know, there's so many things. Georgia is actually the number one in production in in the country, in production. You know, everything comes out of L.A., you know, and sometimes New York. But in terms of production, you know, uh, Georgia has been for the past four years. So we're hoping that uh, we, we get some of that back as things start to matriculate here. Um, I agree with JL. Um, we kind of get used like dirty laundry uh, here. <laughs> when it's time to give an infusion of cash, they wash us off a little bit, you know, put those clothes back on, run around the the track, you know, until it's nice and sweaty, and then take us off and throw us to the side. But uh, hopefully, um, you know, they'll put us on like a new pair of, pair of jeans and – uh you know, ride out with us. Um, but speaking of new, you now are in an industry, actually, which is one of the hottest industries, really, your uh, genre that you're in right now. It's one of the hottest genres and has been for a while uh, For in and, and, and Hollywood. And you guys have had, you know, an interesting spin and twist on things. So can, I know that you have your, your own things and we're going to talk about that. And I'm really excited to talk about that Um, after we talk a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, for me, uh, a success that you guys have had, but, um, you know, the the genre that you're working in now.
2: Yeah. Well, I think you're talking about followed and the genre is the horror genre. Um, It's, it's, it's just hot right now. Um, um, And it's definitely always been positive. And let me explain why horror films are, you? why horror films are easy to produce, okay, easy to finance, and more importantly, is easier to recoup your money, and that's because it transcends worldwide. So a horror movie of, say, two people in a cabin, you know, and they're being chased by some killer, something as simple as that, cabin fever, whatever it might be, that can transcend to any language so and if you really think about it um you can sell that just like a good uh, action movie uh anywhere so you can sell that movie to korea or japan or europe south america central america and it really translates very simple um, it is very much a ver- very well known uh, genre. The model is very simple. Everyone knows Bloomhouse, right? Most people know Bloomhouse, and that's their model right now. They shoot three, four million dollar budgeted movies around there. Sometimes a little more, obviously. Sometimes a little less. Sometimes uh, they don't have any known actors. Sometimes they hire some like television actors that they bring into to theatrical. But it's all the same thing. It's, it's all, you know, a ride. And it's a, a thriller, horror kind of ride. And it's just all over the, the screen. It's just really simple to, to sell if you know how to produce it right. I mean, you have to have some movie that makes sense, obviously. There has to be some sort of production value to it. Um, but yeah, horror movies are just very popular, especially now. Uh, You know, we did very well in the drive-in. Now, originally, uh, Followed was supposed to be released in um, April of this year. But because of COVID-19, we had to delay the actual release of the film. Um, Now, we already had a, um, a distribution deal with Global View Entertainment. So that's our domestic distributor. Um, so that deal was already in place, and we were scheduled to release in about two or three hundred theaters across the US before COVID happened. But once COVID hit, and then all of a sudden, it's kind of like, well, we're not releasing the movie right now. But and then all the filmmakers, we all got together and um, you know, it was really the executive producers and distributors decided, well, let's go ahead and move forward. And release and drive-ins, and and it it did pretty well. I mean, um, it was number one for a couple of like weekends and a couple of days, and uh, then eventually another horror film came in and then knocked us down. It's just the way it goes. But yeah, horror movies is just something that is very popular uh, at this time, uh, and they're very easily financed uh, and, and distributed.
0: Now, was that part, Bill, of your relationship with Rebel Way, or was that uh, an independent project outside of that?
2: Followed has nothing to do with Rebel Way Entertainment. Rebel Way Entertainment, as of today, has only released a comedy, Mm. uh, which was deported. Um, That project, I came in uh, after the first final cut, and then I worked with the producer uh, we recut the entire film, repackaged it, and then, uh, and then just distributed to um, S-V-O-D, or really V-O-D, Video on Demand. Mm. Um, and that was deported. So Followed is not uh, a, uh, a Rebel Way entertainment production at all. Uh, it's an independent film. It was uh, produced by uh, Matt Brubaker. Uh, I was hired to come in as the uh, line producer. Uh, at the time, and it was um, directed by Antoine Lee, uh, and it was written by Todd Click. Uh, And I do know that in June, we secured um, foreign distribution with MPI Media Group. Um, So with the success of the domestic release uh, and being able to get the movie out, Uh, That brought some attention to foreign distributors and then the agreement was signed in June uh, through MPI. Yeah. Mm. But it's not rebel rebel way entertainment as of right now uh, is on hold. Um, There is one feature film called tension uh, that is tentatively scheduled for next year. Um, That is directed by Darren Lynn Bozeman of uh, the saw fame. Uh, you know, he's, I think he, um, he directed like three of the Saw movies. Uh, he also completed the new Spiral, uh, which is a Saw franchise, um, that stars Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, wow. Uh, and he had just completed that movie. Yeah. So he had just completed Spiral and we had to delay tension because he, while we were developing the script. For, for Tension, he all of a sudden gets a call and says, hey, they want you to direct Spiral. And he's like, hey, guys, can we put a hold on Tension? But and then what happened was he finished his movie, right? Lionsgate was supposed to release the movie in May. But I guess COVID-19 decided to throw a wrench on everyone's plan around Speaking the entire of horror, world.
0: Right. And, and actually, of horror, and this is something... Yeah, Kevin, I got I gotta ask this, and I know that we covered it last time, but since we're talking distribution and COVID, I gotta ask: What are your thoughts on the Disney strategy to release Mulan on Disney Plus for a thirty dollars premium on top of the subscription?
2: Man, I just don't know if. I don't know if that's going to work. You need a, you need millions and me, millions of people to buy that $30 movie just to break even. I mean, I, I, I don't know, but we're, we're going to find out. Um, that's risky. That's a $200 million plus, right? Right. Movie budget.
1: $250 million. Just yeah. do the math.
2: Right. Yeah. But just you know do what? Just to break. Even. Th- this is, this is when I think
1: about it in, in, in the way that that traditional, you know, P-O-V-D has been moving, you know, um, I'm not sure if that, that would work, but from my understanding, you know, they're only going to release it for a couple of days. So I think, you know, that's going to be an infusion of cash. I don't think that they're trying to make up that difference of what the movie actually would make. If they open it up for, just a couple of days, limited, um, you know, people will watch. Whoever will watch it will watch it, and, you know, they close it down, and then that'll give them still the opportunity to release it in theaters because it'll sort of be inclusive to only the people that are on Disney+. Plus. I personally think it's a smart strategy because it will give an infusion of cash. Um, I guess we're going to see how well it does, you know, but... Um, but I, I think in this market, everyone is just trying to figure out, you know, how they're going to do anything. That drive-in. I mean, when I heard when I heard about the, that drive-in, um, you know, your drive-in premiere and and distribution, I thought that was really interesting. You know, because you actually get some type of distribution that helps to build some kind of buzz, and then you know you can move forward. Everyone, I think, is trying to grasp that, you know, a way in this marketplace. Um, you know a way to make money. So
0: right. right. No, absolutely. And yeah. I think Kevin's right, everything's a gamble.
2: It is, but the thing is uh, giving an example, well first Mulan as and I just read an article um China has approved Mulan to play in Chinese theaters. So that's going to be really big for for that release to see how it does there. Now, I don't know how how Mulan's going to do. I mean, I know that crazy rich Asians did not do very well financially in the Chinese uh, uh, market. As I understand, it didn't do that well, you know? Um, hmm. And I think it was because of the relationship, the culture, uh, then you know, they couldn't understand. Uh, right. That's my thought. Well, comedy It was just a, sport. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. Comedy, you know, it's always difficult for that, that translatable, com- the thing, ability the, of comedy.
2: Right. And you have to respect because there's different cultures. Everyone has different ideas of what's funny, what's not, what what they can understand, what they cannot. Um, but when it comes to Mulan and them releasing on – on the streaming service, I mean, I, I, it's going to be interesting, the numbers. I think you're right. I don't think their goal is, hey, we want to just, you know, recoup our $200 million. It's There's no way that they're going to do that just with a, a streamer release, right? So, so I'm just thinking, wow, what's going to happen? Now, I do know from what I've read that Disney Plus is through the roof. That I am not surprised because of COVID-19. I was actually surprised that it took so long for the information to get out because I was kind of like, my God, if I have three or four kids at home, I am going to subscribe to my six ninety nine Disney and, and have the kids watch Disney when they're not, you know, on Zoom uh, doing their homework and their classes, right? So I can understand a lot of parents – um, you know, subscribing to the streamers. I can definitely see all the streamers doing really well. I mean, now, if you have content, now is the time. Now is the time, Because yeah. everyone, everyone's shut down. I mean, I have um, a drama feature film uh, that's right now in post-production called Samland. Um, so we're in post on that one. And I already reached out to Netflix. They want to watch it you know? So, um, you know, I already have a couple of streamers that are waiting for the final cut. Um, and also with combat club with already some content, a pilot put together, it's a project that could easily be produced during COVID-19 because it's very contained space. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but there's a built in audience in the MMA fans, right? So that was a brilliant idea, You know, and and it's pretty I mean, when I first saw it, I was kind of like, wow, this is like, Mark, where where did you come up with this? You know, and because I had filmed like as a camera guy, you know, in my camera days um, with Dana White and, you know, the mixed martial arts and um, all that stuff going down in, in South Florida, you know, in like Fort Lauderdale and Boca Raton. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's uh, a project also that I'm I'm working on right
1: now. Uh, so this has
2: been great,
1: amazing uh, to bring you back to the 305, if at least for an
2: hour.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. This has been a great ride. Great, I
2: had a good time. Yeah, and I yeah. What, what
0: I'd like to. No, you know, before we do our signature, you know, uh, is, you know, since you are out in LA and you have your feet on the ground out there, you know, and we've been talking so much on this show about the streaming wars and how it's sort of changing the industry uh, in terms of more of the major media companies investing and streamlining their operations. You know, we've seen so much in the, the trades recently about, you know, Warner Brothers just yesterday laying off 500 employees, CAA as well, big cutbacks, just because it seems like, There's this what I call a once in a generational shift within Hollywood, just like when film had to go to television and when television had to go to, you know, the DVD and the introduction of cable. I think that we're in a very similar time now, accelerated by the COVID pandemic. What do you see as the future of this industry when we get back to not necessarily the new normal, but hopefully post-vaccine to what Hollywood will look like in 2021 and beyond?
2: I think what's going to happen is theaters are going to suffer for right now. Okay. Not until a vaccine. Once a vaccine is created and we go back to... What we were before COVID, then I think the theatrical platform is going to explode because I think people are going to want to come back to the movies. But for right now, I think theaters are really going to have it hard. And don't get me wrong, I I love the theater experience, but I have a feeling that streamers are going to continue to expand. People are going to want to stay home. Uh, you know, during this time, and they're going to want to watch movies and pro and you know television series. You know, on all these different platforms. You know, you have now Peacock, HBO Max. I mean, they continue to come out. There's also other smaller platforms that a lot of people don't know that are for free. Like I don't know if you know um, what is it called um, TV um, pilot is another one uh, that's called. And there's a couple of other uh, streaming companies that are out there that are using the, um, you know, the SVOD type of, uh, of structure. But I think that for the future, it's positive for independent filmmakers that have projects already in the can. So I think you might have a stronger chance of selling your content uh, if you have it in the in the can, right? Because a lot of these studios are everyone's shut down, so they're not producing content uh, right now. Also, the positive is development. A lot of people are making deals for the future um, to start that pipeline again. So I think that's going to be twenty twenty one. Is everyone that's you know able to pitch their movies? Um, where twenty twenty one the streamers they're looking for diverse voices huge latinx is a big thing you know we want to hear diverse stories out there and uh opportunities for all those uh filmmakers that have not had an opportunity to tell those stories and if you watch netflix and you watch hulu and a lot of these they're also having foreign language that was unheard of before Think about it. If you watch Netflix, there's now series from all different kinds of of languages. We're talking even Hebrew, you know, uh, you're talking German, you're talking Swedish. Um, So they're they're actually taking content worldwide and actually producing it for worldwide audiences. You just have to read the subtitles. So I think the future for theaters is bleak. For right now, uh, until a uh, vaccine is created, but I think the streamers are going to be the ones that are going to continue to push the industry forward.
1: Mm. Wow! Well said. That was a succinct and uh, very clear answer. That was a big question. I was I was a little scared. There's a little horror for a moment there, uh, JL, with that big big question. That's, yeah, that's that, yeah. We're living in existential
0: times. Yeah, that's, that's why I felt. <laughs> We should ask it. but
2: uh, No, I mean, absolutely, yeah.
0: But yeah, I think, I think, you know, this has been, you know, again, another hour that's just flown by. I feel like every time we talk to a good friend, it's just like, you know, a chat over, obviously in your case, I guess, seltzer water since you don't drink coffee or adult beverages. <laughs> but, you know, just a, a really, really... <laughs> amazing conversation you know and and just i love the energy of, of our especially our miami people that are out in the industry in la and new york and all over the world doing great things because i just feel like you know and kevin knows the con- there's like a 305 vibe to the flow of the conversation that i just love
1: yeah uh, and the listeners can't and, see it i'm dropping yeah. 305 right now screenshot <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: so uh but yeah i think it's time for the signature kevin what do you think Yes, sir. We have
1: to top all it right. off. All right, our cafecito.
0: So, this is a. Just so you know, Bill, this is a two-part question that we ask all our guests at the end of an interview, uh, and I'll I'll give you the first part, which is the Back to the Future scenario. So, if Bill Garcia today can travel back in time and meet a young Bill Garcia, either coming out of high school or just getting started in the news industry, eighty-two. What advice, yeah, eighty. Back in eighty-two. All right. right. We'll, go right back. It wasn't back to the future. Maybe it was 84, but go back to that time and tell a young Bill Garcia, knowing what
2: you know now, what advice would you give yourself? Take more risk. I was, I didn't take enough risk when I was very young. Uh, You know, so that's what I would tell myself is definitely um, take those opportunities. Don't be so afraid to fail that was one thing when I first started, I was kind of like, Oh man, I just, let me just take the easy way I would take, I would tell myself, take the most difficult way, take the risk. Cause you have nothing to lose. That's another succinct and clear
1: answer. <laughs> Excuse me. Has me choked up. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'll take the second part of it, which is apropos. Although that was, you know, for, uh, up and comings and and people well within the bounds of the industry now, but uh, what advice would you give both those that are up and coming and people in the industry now that are, you know, trying to get a a stronghold in the industry?
2: Our industry is very much networking. Okay. It's, it's really who you know, It, it really comes down to it. And my father that told me this a really long time ago. We're talking when I was a really young guy. He says, You do not work if you do not network in any industry because it's very important, whether you're up and coming or you're starting, to have relationships with different people in different industries and specifically in your industry that you can create a bond and a relationship with, whether they be friends. Or coworkers, because that's how you will move forward in in this, in in our entertainment industry. It's just the way it is. Um, They give opportunities not for you to submitting. Say, for example, you submit a resume to someone you don't know compared to, and you guys can attest to this. Nine times out of 10, if I need a production assistant or I need an AD or I need a crew person or a writer, what I'm going to do is go to everyone that I know and say, who can you recommend? Who, Who can you suggest? That's the norm of our industry. So I would suggest to anyone that's up and coming, anyone that's new, is to network not just with those that have made it but also with those that are just starting out because you don't know where they're going to end up. Think about it. George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola, they all knew each other. Not when they were Francis Ford Coppola and Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. They knew each other when they were like in college and coming out and like, Hey, can you come over here and watch my film? Is it any good? Can you give me some notes? Um, So I think the most important thing to tell any individual that's starting out, that's moving forward with their career is get to know people, make sure that you keep the people that you need in your life, that are positive in your life around you, that you will help them just as much as they will help you. Yeah, that's, that's my suggestion because it's, it's very, very important uh, in this industry.
1: Mm, wow. That's heavy. What a great
0: soundbite. <laughs> I like it.
1: That's, I love it.
0: <laughs> no, that's, that was a great way to end it. I think that, you know, there's definitely, like I said, you, you could tell he's a news guy because we got some great clips that we're going to pull out to promote this thing that's going to pop. Oh, <laughs> that's right.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I could have given you more. You know, I didn't put my short soundbite. I know sometimes I rambled. <laughs> you no, it was know, because no. I was kind of like,
1: well, Did that, that was as clear can, as it I gets. I could have gone
2: and. I could have answered all your questions in like 30, 45 seconds sound bites, but nah. I was kind of like, ah, let me just relax and, and have a conversation with you guys. But, yeah. um, but no, it's, it's all good, you know, and I'm good with time. Cause my 12 o'clock, um, just got, they just sent me a text and an email that they're delaying the meeting till Thursday. So
1: I think a oh, lot I'm of people, a lot of people have, uh, a, a little bit more time on their hands now, right? Yeah. yeah. When the, I have a screaming yeah. baby. I have to go, um, see about right now. Oh, unfortunately. Yeah. She had, her, she had her shots this morning, but, Uh-oh. um, Bill, i i really appreciate it. This was a, an, an amazing interview and, um, really great to get into the, the, the head of, uh, Mr. Garcia, uh, um, oh, yeah. for, for this screen heat, Miami podcast. Um, just uh, brilliant and, uh, we look forward to connecting on the other side of this thing. Okay, we are back from another incredible interview. Bill Garcia ripping up the house. I mean, oh yeah, in the drive-in, the drive-in, doing the numbers. Of course, yeah, Hara. I mean, uh-huh.
0: right, horror. It's just yeah. out of out of necessity, really, but it's proven to be quite you know, the little engine that could so far, at least during the summer months.
1: Yeah, yeah. And to have the number one film for two weeks in a row, that's saying a lot. So oh yeah, where there's a will, there's a way.
0: Yes, there is, you know, and as not to get into the weeds on distribution again, but the whole world is just becoming, you know, uh, accustomed to a different way of consuming content. And I think the smart producers like Bill know how to, you know, pivot quickly and take advantage of these situations so that, you know, their their project, which, as you said, you know, most of these films were shot and had a certain marketing plan way before COVID was an issue. And now having to just, you know, like I said, pivot uh, quickly, it takes really a smart producer with, you know, marketing smarts to really kind of embrace the changes that have been happening at lightning speed the past few months.
1: Yeah, that's what producing is all about at the end of the day. You know, you plan as well as you can and know that, you know, in some way, shape, form or fashion. I don't think I've had one project that has just gone without anything going south in one way or the other. And so you have to you have you have to already know something is going to happen and, you know, not let it paralyze you and be able to pivot. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. That was a there you go. That that was a pivot. Hollywood that was a great is pivoting. Case study. Hollywood. Oh yeah, pivoting. Yes. Tell us about getting back to the world we
0: we once knew.
1: Well, I don't know. We're gonna see. <laughs> we we talked at the uh, in the last podcast about Tyler Perry and how he was able to get his two seasons in the can for his CBS shows. Mm-hmm. And if you all want to see about that, just look it up on, on YouTube. It's a pretty remarkable, you know, how he did it. So, I don't know if that bug hit everyone and inspired everyone, or if this was already going to happen, but uh, two of the biggest shows on CBS, NCIS, uh, both uh, NCIS Proper and NCIS Los Angeles, are beginning production, again, on September 9th. Yes,
0: yeah, very tentatively, they're saying, and cautiously, so they are taking tremendous precautions in ramping up those shows, Uh, you know, and and I think that when it's a a longer running TV series, as long as you can contain the shoots and the crews, they all kind of know each other, you know, it's, it becomes like a family. So, you know, there's more of a rapport there and and a way to like create a set of guidelines that everyone just, I think can follow, as opposed to putting together a new project or a new movie where it's new crews, it's new talent and everyone's just kind of getting, you know, production is, is like an, to me, it's like an organism, right? You know, in the first weeks are a little clunky. Everyone's kind of getting used to each other and and everyone's method of working. But again, a, a seasoned TV series where everyone already kind of knows each other and there's a rhythm, I think it may be easier for them to adapt uh, to this sort of new way of, of producing content that's COVID, I want to say COVID friendly, COVID proof, you know, COVID compliant.
1: Yeah, yeah. And really, you know, what this makes me think about is directors that use the same, and I, I have this conversation with my students all the time. They use the same actors over and over again. And I use David O. Russell as an example In, from Silver Linings Playbook to uh, all the way to American Hustle, to Joy, Robert De Niro, Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence. Once you have this rapport and it's sort of this unspoken um, language it just makes things a little bit easier. And NCIS, which is a long-standing show, um, I'm quite sure the, the crew, the production, they all have this synergy. So, and, you know, an understanding to work together, but you have to give it up for CBS because CBS, right. I guess they're, they're aggressive about, you know, coming out of the gate because that's from Tyler Perry to, NCIS, CIS,
0: so. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, obviously it, it's kind of showing at the times that, uh, you know, these studios and networks need fresh content to keep those eyeballs. And so how much farther can you pull off these hiatuses without then having a serious dearth of content? You know, uh, we've heard from the top brass at Netflix that they're okay until the first, second quarter of next year, but before you know it, especially knowing the long lead times of these productions, fairly soon, Everyone's going to have to start ramping up just to keep up with the massive amounts of content that's consumed on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there are some that are doing things about it in ways that steer clear of actual production and actually being there in person. Burning Man, for example, Mm. Burning Man, it looks like Burning Man is going the way. Of digitization so they're working with a company now to create a VR experience a VR Burning Man experience and this is well noted because there were many occasions over the past couple of years where the powers that be at Burning Man were becoming incensed because there was becoming a corporatization within within the actual Burning Man festival. Now you can't control, you know, who's coming in, who's coming out, who's buying tickets, and a lot of the bigwigs were bringing in tents, air conditioned uh, spaces. And creating their own Burning Man experience independent of the spirit of Burning Man, which which is a spirit of togetherness and unity. But a lot of those same people, Silicon Valley people, um, are being able to come in and and help out during this trying time. So Mm. I personally have not been to Burning Man I want to feel the Burning Man experience. So once it's digitized, I'm going to go. And then I'm going to go, you know, next year too. So yeah, but, but, but really I think that, you know, these times have set uh, a marker in terms of uh, what's going to happen with the industry. And I think that it's something that's going to continue because there's a trend that's already moving. And that trend is with uh, VR and now uh, VR virtual reality and augmented reality, which um, both of them, although uh, virtual reality hasn't really taken the, the the biggest stronghold yet. I think that when augmented reality is married and they call it XR, you know mixed reality, when, when that happens, I think that it's going to become uh, an even stronger take, an even stronger turn. and during these times. I think that that push is becoming even more relevant. And an example, I've been tracking these glasses for a while, the in real, in real uh, augmented reality glasses. So they're going to be shipped uh, next month to South Korea. And, hmm. and that's going to be an experience along. So South Korea, they produce the, the Samsung phones. And those are the most popular Android phones, uh, Google phones. Uh, in the world. Mm -hmm. So they're going to ship these glasses and they're going to work in conjunction with the galaxy note 20. So if you don't know the augmented reality experience, it's glasses that you put on and you can experience the 3d world that is mixed with the regular world. I love this experience. I mean, my company, we've already experimented with augmented reality on um, our next run of comics, our Beach Chronicle comics, you'll be able to see, and if you go on my website, kajikmultimedia.com, K-I-J-I-K, you can see a a sample of this mixed reality where you can point your phone at the comic book and then you can see a 3D representation of, you know, this motorcycle. But with the glasses, you don't even have to point your phone. You have on the glasses and you can see in real world space all of these images i liken it to um to uh what was that tom cruise movie uh many many years minority ago? report minority report yeah so check out minority report and then you're going to see what's what's actually coming and they're speeding this up they want it to happen really fast so those glasses yeah. are going to be available here here stateside at the end of the year and that's in conjunction well, with i the think house, there's you know, yeah years. that's
0: that's crazy. I mean, you know, you see, again, I think uh, we already knew that there was an onslaught of new technologies coming at us even before COVID. I think now the situation we're in is really, again, much like distribution strategies and the media industry technology is also accelerating towards this future of VR and AR uh, because of the social distancing aspect of our lives, at least temporarily. And I think it's an interesting opportunity to really start to put some of these products into the marketplace during the time when it's more now out of necessity. Like you said, going to Burning Man virtually is totally safe. Um, You know, I can see other applications, you know, I, I think I think Tinder would be great
1: for some people maybe it won't be <laughs>
0: well what i'm saying is you know for the single folks i feel terrible that you know you're a single guy or girl and and you know you're you're social distancing you're doing all the right things but you know you want to be able to socialize so you know if you can go let's say to, i don't know to a restaurant put on these glasses and all of a sudden your tinder oh, date right, is sitting yeah. across from you as yeah. like a virtual and then she sees you You know, and you guys are just talking and having wine and, you know, you're at your, I don't know, kitchen table or whatever. Um, I think that 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 would be really fun. And then if everything goes well, you can say, hey, why don't we virtually Burning Man together next week?
1: Things are getting serious. (laughs) You already coined it. (laughs) Hey, let's virtually this. Let's virtually that. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I could could already see it, you know. Oh, I'm not ready for virtual yet. I'm not ready for virtual yet.
0: No, no, we, we can't take a, a virtual vacation together yet. That's, that's uh, I, and we could virtually meet your parents, you know, whoa, <laughs> hold on
1: there, Tiger. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I'm excited about this, this new area. And I've been, you know, really thinking about, you know, different concepts to build around this Whole, you know, new environment because as a content creator and as a storyteller, it really does open up a, a whole new way to, to tell your stories. So this is right. really exciting for me. We've already, you know, dipped our foot in it, but I think that we're going to, you know, jump in and immerse ourselves uh, even more. We were really looking forward to Magic Leap, which, um, unfortunately, they had a leap in the wrong direction. They were a Florida-based company, you know, Right. Um, looking forward to them uh, having a big splash. Now they're moving more towards enterprise uh, and business, but um, it's okay. You know, I moved to HoloLens, yeah. In Real, and uh, from what I understand, I was on a, a, a XR, Mixed Reality, Zoom uh, a few days ago. And from what I understand, by 2022, Apple will have its own AR
0: glasses. Mm. So, wow, that's fascinating. And then speaking of, and I know we wanted to get to this last topic uh, before we kind of tease the next one, but you know, whenever there's this much technology and money at stake, you know the big companies are going to battle, right? There, Something's going to happen where two sides are not going to come to a tête-à-tête, as they say. And, uh, you know, as, as you were mentioning before, it looks like Apple uh, is getting into a bit of a tussle with Fortnite.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, um, you know, Apple and Google helped Fortnite to move up, you know, helped, helped in the success. Now, I don't know – Specifically, because, you know, I'm not uh, there in the room with Apple and Google and Fortnite and their negotiations. But to me, it seems like Fortnite is trying to uh, cut Apple and Google at the knees. What they're Mm -hmm. doing is they are with Fortnite, you make purchases, you know. So as a player, you can make purchases for different things. And so but you pay real money for the Fortnite money. So what Fortnite is offering is discounts within Fortnite on their Fortnite capital. The way that it worked with Google and Apple before is that you would make those money purchases via Google and Apple. Those mm. capital purchases via via Google and Apple. So they're undercutting that relationship. And so what Google and Apple have done is they've banned Fortnite. And so I want to see how that's going to affect um, the Fortnite fans are rabid, you know, and they're very dedicated fans. So I want to see how that battle is going to play out. Hmm.
0: Maybe it'll play out with AR glasses.
1: <laughs> <Just> <laughs> May, just have Maybe,
0: maybe uh, CEO duel to the death in yeah. some kind of virtual battle game. Mortal Kombat.
1: (laughs) Could be. We'll see. But this is really interesting because, you know, Fortnite, gaming, uh, all of these connected experiences have become even more important in a less connected environment that we have here in in the real world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is a battle that has a lot of ramifications uh, within their virtual world. But also, you know, within the real world. So I want to see how that all plays out. I think that that's going to be a, a, you know, once that all matriculates, uh, I think that that's going to be something interesting to see. So, well, To to
0: use the 80s song, they said love is a battlefield. Now screens are the battlefield.
1: Yeah. Speaking of battlefield, there's one more thing that I want to talk about. And this wasn't even in our notes. Um, There is a battle, Warner Media. Warner Media let go six hundred employees. Mm. So. Yeah, that was
0: huge cuts this week. Uh, unfortunately, for you know all of our friends in the industry out in LA uh, that that work or worked for for Warner Media, that was just um, a huge, huge, unprecedented round of layoffs coming right on the heels of the big agencies like CAA also laying off almost a quarter of their staff. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, these are unprecedented numbers coming out of Hollywood. So many big corporations, uh, there's been talks that maybe Comcast might be next with NBC universal, uh, and, and all what they're saying, you know, with the ultimate goal of streamlining their operations and focusing more on these sort of, you know, digital platforms and streamers like HBO max and like, you know, obviously Peacock now and Disney plus, and they're starting to realize that you know, the old ways of doing things in distribution and cables and ancillaries. Now those can all be streamlined into one pipeline of content development, creation and marketing, as opposed to having all these different verticals.
1: Yeah. And that's what Warner media said that it, it, you know, it was for a streamline streamlining effort. I'm sure it was a combination of a, a lot of things, you know, but, um, but I just wanna see how this all plays out. That's a you know, a lot of people, a lot of employees, a lot of jobs. Right. So Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know. Hopefully they'll come back in another way and they'll be able to to rebound. But you know, it's uh it's just this this again, this business and again, because of the onslaught of technology and streaming platforms coupled with the last several months of dealing with the COVID pandemic has really caused these changes to accelerate at at these levels that we would have never have imagined. And now, you know, we're, we're stuck in the middle of it and it's, it's going to be a huge battlefield. And unfortunately there'll be a lot of casualties in the industry uh, until things kind of resettle themselves. And then, you know, my thinking is uh, there will be a lot of other because of so much content that does need to be created. You know, I do believe smaller companies will be propping up around the big media companies to help supply all this content. And I think that's where hopefully the jobs will come back. Kajik Multimedia,
1: Screen Heat Miami. When we get that two hundred and fifty mil Spotify, uh, oh,
0: you see, we went from a hundred mil down to a mil to twenty five mil. Now we're up to two fifty. We're yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 oh, I don't know. I add another zero. Oops. <laughs> How did I do that? I don't know. We uh, yeah, we'll hire. You. Hey, we'll hire you guys all. We'll we'll hire you for Screen Heat Miami and uh, and don't all be the jobs. collaterals.
0: yeah yeah it's it's always fun doing this and you know it's a fun group here at green heat miami and yeah we definitely hope we can expand soon and and really you know put this message out to more and more people as as we build episode by episode
1: yeah so this is uh i think we're going to take a little break for about a week and and then we'll be back but um until then we will hear you This is Kevin Sharpley
0: and JL Martinez,
1: and uh, we will hear you next time.
0: Dolly.